Matt. Yeah? Matt, it's podcast 34. How do you feel? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel good. What's awesome is we've had some fantastic listeners this week. Welcome to all our new followers. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. We must thank Ars Technica, and in particular Eric Berger, for for giving us a shout-out. Absolutely. Cheers, Eric. That's been absolutely fantastic. Makes it all worthwhile. You know, we always knew we'd, we'd, we'd do well, didn't we, Matt? I mean, from yeah. school. Well, yeah, the moment I was born, I knew I was special. I knew I was going to be a space podcaster. Started from the bottom, now we're here, as the, uh, as the US rappers say. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, apologies oh, to any rappers uh, listening. Um, so, Matt, what have we got coming up in the show? We've got a really good week of space news. There's quite a lot going on in space this week, it turns out. Well, I think there always is. Do you know what? It's, it's, it's always stuff We probably just don't know about it. Yeah. But um, I thought a really interesting one to start with is um, one of the most famous space people, old Buzz Aldrin. B.A., the legend. The legend is Buzz. Uh, second only to Buzz Lightyear. What's he been saying? He's calling for the retirement of the International Space Station as quickly as possible. Right. Now, if I remember correctly, this is because he's saying that the $3.5 billion a year um, that it costs hmm. to run the space station, that we should put that towards Mars missions going to mars right? yeah going to mars and he i don't think he's saying get rid of the space station he's just saying just get it hand it over to sort of commercial companies as quickly as possible right. so that nasa can concentrate on getting people to mars right you know aldrin's written several books about going to mars i've, I've read one of them and it's really mm. really interesting but he's saying yeah get rid of that 3.5 billion hand it over to companies like bijlow aerospace and a few others uh, and get so, so because you've 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 read a, a book on his about going to Mars. What's his general? What's his general stance? Well, what, what is, what, how does he see it working? Well, the, the cornerstone of what of what Aldrin has are these things called cyclers, which are really yeah. which are, which are actually really in, interesting. So it's 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 a it's kind of like an orbit or a spacecraft traje- trajectory that sort of takes it past Earth and Mars on a regular basis. And you hardly need any fuel to kind of maintain this kind of cyclical... Uh, I guess I, I guess it's a figure of eight, but I've, I've never actually seen the orbit kind of drawn out. But there's quite a few of them, and one of the most famous is this Aldrin cycler that goes between uh, Mars and the Earth. And if, right. uh, and and it's just a really really good way of of sending crew and cargo back and forth because it's it takes 146 days so you can do these kind of transfers in 146 days between Mars and Earth and I think in 15 years you get seven of these um, cycles or something right. like that so it, it's it's a really really convenient and you can build something really big with massive um radiation shielding and stuff like that it doesn't matter how big it is because once it's out in space it, it's kind of good to go so that's the it's, it still blows my mind you know you're mentioning 146 days and i know it's a really long way but imagine you know like when you how annoying it is when you forget um you forget something at home when you you leave your house, you get on the tube to go to work, you go into town and you're like, Oh, I left my left my oyster pass oh, at home. It, Imagine if you left something on Mars. No, well, It'd be a while before you got it back, wouldn't it? Well, 
These days, it's hard to imagine any journey taking 146 mm. days. But I guess yeah. this is the equivalent uh, of um, of people going to Australia in the New World back in the days of Huygens and Cassini, the original Huygens Very and true. Cassini. So it's you know, and that's an, an actual fact. It 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 cost them more money back in those days to do those kind of sea trips than it would do to do Buzz Aldrin's plan. And he's had this plan, by the way, since the Mars cycler he's had since 1985. And he, mm. um, he basically uh, gave a speech with this, uh, the Aldrin cycler. And uh, JPL scientists uh, re basically proved that it was confirmed that it was correct. And uh, so it's, you know, the, not only is he the it's second legit. man on the moon, he's, he's, he's come up with some really cool ideas. And I think they use uh, Phobos uh, uh, and. Uh, basically Mars's moon as a kind of staging post as well. I think that's part of Aldrin's yeah. plan. But and as our mate Bob Richards said, you know, creating something that is, um, it's just like another commute. Um, you know, just like before we discovered America. Yeah. You know, it, you, can't, you can't imagine it. Uh, and people would say that it's impossible. But it, that's just inevitably what it's going to be. Yeah, so another another commute. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Aldrin's been working on this for ages. And, and, and part of the plan is, first of all, you you go with a lunar cycler, so that you're getting mm. uh, stuff over to the moon and practicing everything that you need to do. Then try it with an asteroid, and then uh, do one round Venus as well, and then on to Mars in the 2030s. Um, uh, wow. Yeah. And what what Aldrin wants is settlers. He, he wants people to settle yeah. on Mars. The one thing he's absolutely adamant out about is it shouldn't be like his mission to the moon, which was about flags and footprints. It should be about sustainable plan to stay on Mars, which actually reminds me of another post that I saw that students in some architectural students in Calgary were, were doing these brilliant structures for sort of Mars habitations. If you, right. if you see that, just do a little uh, Google image search for Calgary uh, Mars habitations. They look really, really cool. Really, really cool. Oh, wow. We need to put some of these pictures up on the blog, along with the um, the cycler. I mean, there must be some great images of that. Yeah, that, well, he's, uh, yeah I'm just trying to... Uh, yeah, I, 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 did, I must admit, I didn't make much of an effort, but we'll, 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 bung, that in, we'll bung that in the blog. But, yeah, it's interesting, the cyclists. When are you going to start making an effort with this podcast? Oh, no. Come on, we've got new followers now. I oh, know, OK, yeah, we'll, well, we'll, make sure it's, we'll make sure it's in there. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, no, here's, here's one thing that uh, NASA's kind of replied to this thing about retiring the space station, and they insist that yeah. the space station is part of their plans for Mars. So, interesting, you know, so how that, so? Well, I don't know. I'm going to guess they're, they're sort of saying that they're learning lot, lots and lots and lots from people being on the space station. Yeah. And it's really, really important science that's part of their planning for Mars. So, And I, I assume if they handed that over to a private company, they, then they yeah, would they, have they, no they, say on the experiments that would go on. You it, know? Exactly. Well, it, it, it's yeah. then commercial. So they're not ready to retire the ISS just yet. It's pretty I interesting wonder what, if the, if the ISS got handed over to a private body... I wonder what would happen in the ISS. I like to think that it wouldn't just be people um, doing novelty stuff that didn't mean anything. 
Oh well, it's, it's but I bet, but I bet a load of that would happen. Well, it's, it's got, know? it's got. Well, it's whatever's commercial, isn't it? I guess yeah. you know, and it's it it, it goes. What back, would make the most money? Yeah, and it's always that frightening thing of people spend a lot more money on Halloween costumes than they do on the American space program, for example. Oh, that makes me feel sick. <laughs> so, oh yeah, god. Uh, so, but I, I think you know, you could really imagine it becoming. I mean, we're talking about the moon, obviously, a lot recently mm. for people going there to visit. But, you know, if, if a private company took over the space station, then you could totally see that as a very quick way of, um, of generating huge amounts of revenue in, in, in the public being able to buy a ticket to go and visit the space station and experience that zero gravity and, and that view. I mean, yeah. that would be something that wouldn't be too hard to achieve. Do you know what? I think people have been talking about this for 50 years, ever since the Apollo missions. Uh, but maybe we are just about, we are on the on the brink of it. There's a, there's a certain kind of reticence in me that doesn't want to sort of say, yeah, yeah, in the next 10 years, people are going to go to the moon and, and do all this, because we've, we've kind of had 50 years of it, haven't we? Of, of, yeah. of almost disappointment. But, you know... Yeah. It, it, it might, you know, that, that whole thing if SpaceX really are going to be taking people around moon well, I think more, this is the reason why it's, it's, it's become part of the conscious again, because we are suddenly talking about getting people into space. Not that, that that's never been a language, but yeah. I think now we know that it's, it is going to happen. It's not just a dream anymore. Like, you know, I think, yeah. um, I, I think it is something that you can start talking about with a, with a realistic view of, people can start going to the space station um you know if, if that was private which there's no reason to think that it would be anytime soon certainly from NASA's well, I mean, mouth they've, they've had private um, but they've, yeah they've had private people on the space station before really yeah 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 in fact uh, <laughs> uh andrew lloyd webber's ex-wife what she called um she she was gonna go up but but hasn't but there's um I didn't know that. So they've taken billionaires up yeah, there, yeah, I yeah, assume, that yeah, have just funded yeah, part of missions. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the... One of the uh, th- there's even been a British astronaut that's gone up to the International Space Station. Uh, he's he's uh, British by birth, but um, uh, went up as an American, I think, but but he paid to go up. I can't remember. Do you know how much he paid? Uh, it's, I think it was just over £100 million or something. I think it's almost like twice what That's not, I think. Not I too think bad. basically, uh, <laughs> yeah, Roscosmos was charging twice what they charge NASA for a seat. For right, you know, they've got to train them up and everything. Yeah, yeah it's, of course, it's, of course. It's, yeah, yeah. Sarah Brightman, that was it. And I was thinking, whatever happened to Sarah Brightman going up onto the International Sarah Space Station? Sarah Brightman. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Google it now. Yeah, <laughs> she she just suddenly didn't go. And I don't know why. I've never heard. I've not heard anything because there was a delay, and then I've not heard anything about that since. Right. I tell you what was interesting. Um, yeah. You know when we talk about IEC leads and things like that. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Well, there's kind of like these governing bodies that sort of, you know, govern all those things like DIN plugs, IEC leads, ISO right. things. Uh, one of them's uh-huh. called the ASTM that I'd never really heard of before, but that mm. it, it's actually the oldest of. Uh, well, it's older than most of those um, organisations, and it stands for the American section of the International Association of Testing Materials. But they've recently met uh, because they are trying to standardise new commercial space flight. Right. So there you go. So that you know, if the standardising bodies are sort of getting in on the act, you know that that there's a kind of movement that they want to standardise certain things, and it's uh, and it's they've met for the first time. 
uh, this week. So that, that's quite interesting at the Commercial Space Flight Federation in Washington, D.C., as reported by oh, Doug Messier on Parabolic Arc. So, yeah, that's quite that's a good. That's a good couple of words, that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jack... Matt, I've just Googled uh, Sarah Brightman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first story, yeah. Uh, British soprano Sarah Brightman called off plans for a flight to the International Space Station, citing family reasons... The singer said in a statement on Wednesday, uh, Brightman began training in Russia's Star City in January for the ride um, aboard a Russian Soyuz capsule um, and a 10-day stay on the station. Um, And it says here further on, the trip would have cost her about $52 million. Um, So not bad. She's rich, isn't she? Not too bad. That's what what happens when you marry a multi-billionaire, I guess. It's a snip. Yeah, why not go twice? (laughs) Actually, I'll stay for 20 days. Yeah, awesome. (laughs) So, uh, Wow, what what else is happening, Matt? So, what else is happening? For the first time in 20 years, Japan are developing a new rocket engine. Come on, Japan. Yes, come on, Japan. It's the LE-9, which they're going to stick on their H3 rocket. Which should, yes, which, should, which, should be, which should be working by uh, the 2020s. That's awesome. So, or 2020 itself. Uh, so, and it's going to be about half the, pro- the, half the kind of uh, price tag of the current rockets. $88.6 million, million dollars. a launch. Uh, which, so, yeah, so I guess right. they're sort of saying that's going to be about more like $40 million a launch. But I guess that's... Okay. Yeah. Um, that's a good saving yeah it's a, well it's a pretty massive one isn't it uh, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah so that should be able to carry pretty heavy um, heavy loads up 6.5 tonnes which is 60% more than the current H2A rocket which has been see, in see this is cool this is cool for two reasons one that it's just cool mm-hmm. and did you know Matt that Japan is my favourite country on earth what even more than England, with its well, meadows I and mean... green fields <laughs> and, and you... beautiful birdsong and the Are Lake District. Are you going District. to recite a wartime poem? <laughs> no, I love, I love old Blighty. That goes as standard. OK, yeah. But outside of England, Japan is the one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, just, so, just so listeners are aware, I love all the peoples of the world and all the countries in the world. I love them all. Although Vilnius in Lithuania was definitely one you're of my favourites. You're just trying favorites. to be. The, you're just trying to get, be the favourite favourite host yeah. of the podcast. Uh, well, the, which just isn't going to happen. A, I've, re- got too, I've got too big a following. <laughs> in a recent survey, <laughs> I was actually the favourite host of the podcast. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I'd like to see the rec- the peer review research of this survey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, one of my favourites, oh, and, and, and yeah. uh, one of my favourite news stories, one of my favourite pictures of the week, has been a uh, new version of the Crab Nebula. I'm looking at it right now. Or Messier it's option op- object what, number one. Yes, so they've combined loads of the different observatories to create one mega image. So there's a bit of Hubble, bit of Spitzer, bit of our mate Chandra, bit of so let's XMM break, Newton. So let's- so let's break it down, Matt. So we will have uh, radio, infrared, from the VLA. Uh, visible, yeah, ultraviolet from Newton, yeah, and X-ray, which is the purple from the Chandra. Chandra. Yeah, and you can wow. see, you can really see the Chandra sort of element of it because I've done a picture of, uh, in fact, the, by far the best picture I've ever, astro 
bit of astrophotography I've ever done is a picture yeah. of the uh, of the Crab Nebula. And in fact, mm. Patrick Moore showed it on uh, Sky at Night. That I'm I very, 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 very proud. The glory of, days. The very, very proud moment. Uh, and um, you can see the um, neutron star in the middle. Uh, in, in even in my in, even in my uh, photo from my back garden in suburban London, and uh, mm. uh, uh, but the the Chandra X-ray Observatory has added a kind of extra element to it. You can kind of see these jets coming out of it and these shock waves coming out at a different angle, yeah. and it's just awesome. So that that is such really a brilliant, stunning. such a brilliant thing. And those who don't know, I mean, the Crab Nebula is just one of those amazing things in the night sky that way back in sort of 1045, the 11th century, mm. uh, the Chinese, Japanese and Arabian astronomers saw the actual explosion. They actually saw the supernova, and it's close enough that it's one of those ones where it, it actually kind of ends up being like a kind of second moon in the sky. And this wow. went, and that went on for months. Until what a, must they have thought? I mean, who, what who must knows? have they I mean, thought it, was going on? <laughs> but it's very, obviously, it's such a massive event. It's quite well documented. And then yeah. when uh, astronomers in the 20th century have, have located the Crab Nebula again, they've kind mm. of worked, they've looked at the expansion and worked out what date it would have been when it first exploded, and, it, and it's this magic number uh, 1045. So they know mm. that that Crab Nebula is what the Chinese, the Japanese and the Arabians saw way back when. I tell you what, the stat that just makes my brain hurt... <laughs> yeah. Is is that the explosion would shine as brightly as four hundred million suns? That, it's just. Can you even would, fathom that? Uh, well, I used to try and fathom it from the Judas Priest song "Painkiller," where I believe "Painkiller" is <laughs> brighter than a thousand suns. So this is like orders of magnitude brighter than Judas yeah. Priest's "Painkiller," which wasn't I mean, which wasn't Neurofen, by the way. <laughs> or yeah, any, or any ibuprofen uh, derivative thereof. That is worthy of a heavy metal sun. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Four hundred million suns is almost as many suns as there are in a galaxy. So, for, for for like when when a star goes supernova, it's almost as bright as the rest of the galaxy put together. Jeez, Louise! I know. Well, this is so. If we've got any musicians listening, which I know that there must be tens of you. Um, we we want to put it out there. I want you to make a track called 400 Million Suns. Send it in and we'll play it on the podcast. It could be the new intro, Matt. Oh, my God, that'd be brilliant. The, the, stat, yeah. that, the stat that I like is the neutron star that's been left behind spins every 33 milliseconds. So, <laughs> what? Well, so imagine a city that weighs yeah. as much as a star that's spinning... Once every thirty-three milliseconds. Yeah, that's pretty. That's, that's pretty. That's quick. some pretty awesome. There's some pretty awesome powers out there in the in the universe, aren't there? And don't write in saying why wouldn't they get dizzy? <laughs> we've been through this. No, we guys. Been... <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what's um, what's what's Bill Nye been up to? Well, I saw Bill Nye do, uh, on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Yeah, and uh, he's uh, he was basically recreating. 
1976 episode of The Late Show with Johnny Carson uh, that Carl Sagan ah. did. And it did give me the opportunity to re-watch that, that Carl Sagan appearance where he basically presents to the world the solar sail. Awesome. And, of course, the reason why Bill Nye's uh, at the moment is because the, the, the light sail is actually very, very close to flying, mm. uh, uh, which is one of the stories we've got this week is, um, is SpaceX... Uh, look like they're uh, making some pretty good progress with the Falcon Heavy because just so you know the, the uh, yeah the um, planetary society's light sail is going up on the Falcon Heavy. So, it is going up on the so Falcon Heavy. So that's what that's what it's insane. Yeah, that so that's what it's waiting for. So the Falcon yeah. Heavy, I, uh, SpaceX tweeted uh, that their uh, this was the tweet. It said first static fire test of a Falcon Heavy center core completed out at our McGregor. TX rocket development facility last week. So there Ooh. we go. So yeah, out in Texas, awesome. they've they've tested the Falcon Heavy center core, which if we remember from a few episodes again, Elon Musk was uh, uh, lamenting that it wasn't as easy as he'd first thought. <laughs> it, <laughs> I love his tweet. It, 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 it's it, not easy. Yeah, it turns out that it is rocket science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Twenty-one thousand kilograms up into mm. geostationary orbit, or fourteen thousand to Mars. So that's you know, incredible. Yeah. How, and, and what's the what's the next most powerful rocket down from the Falcon Heavy? So that is uh, well, it, currently the world's most powerful rocket, the Delta Four. Which remember, Delta remember, IV. like this time last year, how excited I was when when we had a Delta Four liftoff. Was, I it, do was, remember. It, was literally about yeah. this time last year. Awesome yeah. machine! You were shaking with excitement. Yeah, I, I, can you imagine? I, I really want. We, we've got to go to a launch. We've got. We've got to go to the Falcon Heavy launch. Twenty twenty. Yeah. Well, that has to happen. Yeah. Well, well, the Dragon launch. Yeah, the Dragon launch. So in twenty twenty, and this is reported by Eric, our friend Eric Berger from Ars Technica. Um, it looks like SpaceX will send two Dragons in twenty twenty, and that does make sense because if you think. How hard it was to get the uh, retro rocket, uh, the sonic, you know, super retro propulsion, uh, the, yeah. the, the center cores landing back on those barges. The first few yeah. crashed and burnt. So to be able to do it in one shot at Mars is pretty unlikely. Or, mm. or that it probably doesn't have enough data. So it looks like he's going to be sending two red dragons to Mars. First one is going to attempt it. And if it fails, hopefully there will be enough uh, data in there that they'll be be able to send the second one and uh, make it work because they've got the the necessary data. Because they will have the data of what went wrong and how to fix it. Because because no one's no one's attempted supersonic retro propulsion as a landing on another planet, you know. And this and this is in through Martian atmosphere. Well, you haven't you haven't asked me what I've been up to every every other Saturday. (laughs) so so you know never assume never assume but my okay my assumption is that that that, that's and the burden of proof is uh, with you my friend yeah that's true because you're (laughs) so the supersonic retro supersonic retro propulsion what's brilliant about landing Mm. on mars is there's only certain places you can land on mars you can't land on too higher a bit of mars because if you try and land on a sort of uh, like a mountain or something. There's just not enough atmosphere to slow down in, so you've got to land yeah. on the kind of lowlands. So that's like what a really important. I mean, how on earth do you aim 
a spacecraft so accurately that it lands at the right place on a speck of essentially what's a speck of dust. I mean, it's well, just... your first error there, Matt, was saying how on earth. Oh yeah, but I'll I'll, I'll forgive you for that. How but, in yeah, space? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about the the details of um, exactly how it'll work after the show. Okay, well we're going we're going to a, we're going to an ace event tonight, aren't we? We're going to a, we are. we're going to an event called Mars Nation, which we'll which we'll have a little chat about next week on the show. We should chat about that next week. I'm excited. Yeah, that is going to be. It's going to be quite cool. So uh, we're, we're here with Harriet. We're actually at uh, an event called Mars Nation. We are live. We're live. Here, other this stuff. This is where uh, we, we, we Yeah, we, we dragged her down to a, an event where we're trying to solve the problems of mental health in space someone's on the way got, to Mars. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it, Jamie. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that man's you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no pressure. With great response. No, That's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but we're going to have a quick word with Harriet because Harriet's going to tell us a little bit of what's going to happen at Space Up and when it is. Absolutely. Yes, so we've got some exciting details for you guys. Um, so, really excited to announce Space Up London, which is happening on Saturday, the 10th of June, hosted at Queen Mary, University of London. Uh, so, this is a day long space extravaganza. We're going to have a load of really exciting speakers, we're going to have interactive discussion sessions, we're going to have quick fire presentations. Um, we've got some really exciting exciting activities planned as well. Um, we've got Flamsteed Astronomy Society. They're going to be doing solar observing over lunchtime. Um, what else do we have? We're going to have some virtual reality headsets coming down from the uh, Square Kilometre Array Telescope guys. Are going to be oh, we can try out our mental health issues with them. Exactly, yeah. yeah that was yeah. one of our solutions, right? Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, so there's going to be loads of things going on throughout the day. Um, it's meant to be as dynamic and interactive as possible, so people can bring ideas that they want to talk about in advance or you can just get inspired on the day and we will be talking about anything and everything space related. Is is there going to be someone awesome there? Yes, there's going to be plenty of awesome people there. (laughs) For the record, (laughs) Matt Russell just pointed at himself. That's a disgrace. Uh, (laughs) So Harriet, where can people go to get tickets? Yes, so if you check out our Facebook page, Planetary Society London, there's a link there. We've got an event going up online. You can check out our website, which is spaceup slash London, and you can also search through Eventbrite as well. So we've got a huge range of things planned for the day. All those events I mentioned, ticket includes... Uh, lunch, goodie bags, t-shirts for participants as well, so make sure you check out online and we'll see you on the 10th of June. Excellent, and we'll stick the links up on the website as well. That'd be awesome, 10th thank of you. June. 10th of June, been there, you get to meet me, don't get to meet Jamie because he's, <laughs> nah. he's off. Where are you off? I'm in Tuscany. Tuscany, oh. taking mum to Tuscany. Yeah. Taking his mum to Tuscany. Yeah. Well, no. enjoy it without me. We'll try. We'll try. We'll try. We'll try. <laughs> and it'll be hard. Oh, God, <laughs> it's going to be awesome without. No, sorry. No, it's going to be. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. Great. Cheers. Awesome. Right. See you soon. Bye. Um, so yeah. Uh, so it looks like yeah, two dragons in 2020. That that would be ultra cool, won't it? It will be you know. double, double. Whack. I don't know how I feel about like sending something that's quite likely to crash. But of course, I guess NASA yeah. are going to be sending loads of experiments as well. So there'll be loads of NASA will give yeah. Elon drink loads of uh, uh, loads of money so that they can put some uh, experiments on. Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be stupid not to. I think at least at least Elon's realistic in that he's like, look, we're gonna we're gonna send something up. There's a good chance that it might not work the first time, but but we'll know enough that the second one will have a really good chance of making it. I like that attitude. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the only way to go. I mean, if you look at... Ha- it has to be. Well, if you look at how uh, the success record of Mars missions is, is woefully low. So mm. I think it's a very good call, that. I think it's a very good call. Now... See, I never liked the, um, the phrase... You can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs, which is obviously very apt here. Yeah. Because I don't... It's the only thing I don't eat, Matt. You don't eat omelette? Or eggs? Well, I don't eat... I just don't eat eggs, really. Really? Yeah. That's very peculiar. So, um, you know, don't send don't send in any eggs. Was with... it was it Edwina Curry that put you off eggs? Yes. Yeah, Scarred <laughs> me ever since. <laughs> so, um, Matt, SpaceX, Falcon Heavy, um, powerful, most powerful rocket in the world... We've done that. Right, Let's but, talk about Ariane 5, Oh, shall yeah. We? So Ariane 5, almost the most powerful rocket in the world. Uh, it's close. Yeah. Finally got to take off. It finally managed its second lift off this year. With, and uh, did it deliver the satellites? It did. The SGDC and the Coriosat 7. Nice. And it got them into their planned orbit. So that's, that's, uh, that's pretty good news for Korea, Philippines, Indonesia, India and Brazil. Good work. In fact, the Brazilian team. You should have seen the Brazilians in the control room. They were super, super excited. It was oh, really, yeah. So it meant a lot to them. And not oh, not, uh, not only have Europeans been in action. Uh, so have the Indians with uh, the GSL, the GLSV, which uh, has launched a GSAT nine. Good satellites are. Tremendous. There's, there's been a couple of accidents. Oh, what's happened? <laughs> You're going to like this one as well, because well, I, I don't know whether you, I don't know whether like is actually an appropriate thing here, but um, one of the test articles for SLS mm. um, uh, has been damaged. So it's the aft dome of a liquid oxygen tank has obviously fallen over or something. Uh, yeah. And uh, NASA and Boeing are having to set up an independent investigations to see what happened. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's part of the rocket's 212-foot core stage. So it's obviously a pretty pretty important uh, bit of the yeah. rocket, and it meant that the Vehicle Assembly Centre had to be shut down and secured. So it's, it's obviously quite bad, but my, my favourite phrase in this, it, it, it said, the incident was classified by NASA as a Type B mishap, <laughs> which, according to NASA, <laughs> covers incidents that cost between $500,000 and $2 million. Oh, I'm always I'm always doing a type B mishap. Well, I, I was. Uh, do you know what I was thinking? It's a good job they didn't choose numbers because a, a type two mishap is something completely different, isn't it? It really a is a number two mishap. Uh, and, what, and what's a type A? How much is a type A mishap? Well, I don't, I don't know which I don't know which direction it's going in. Maybe a type A mishap is just dropping one of the coffee mugs. Even cheaper. Yeah, yeah but and type C is like wow, uh, tripping over the. Apollo 5 and that's imagine imagine how nervous you'd be <laughs> if you realized it was you who'd done the type b mishap having to you know ring up nasa oh it's just ridiculous all right bob so uh, hello john how you doing um yeah yeah just um i've got a type b on yeah the just uh just just on the old type b <laughs> sorry what was that have you type b have you written yeah. it in the type b incident book <laughs> the accident yeah, book. go and see uh you know but, go and see your supervisor but nasa aren't the only ones who've had an accident so Mas- oh, uh, maston maston space yeah with their zero b well I'm, I'm i'm assuming it's pronounced zero b because they've got a couple of other uh rockets that they call the zombie and the zodiac but they spell mm. them with an x 
So really, X, yeah. it should be X zombie and X zodiac. But this yeah. zero is an X at the beginning of aero. So I'm, I'm presuming it's zero. What do you think? We'll go with that. Zero B. So the Zero B looks like it's had a bit of a crash, but they can't release any of the details because um, it's DARPA, the defence agency that's paying for it. So uh, it's kind of, they've got to keep it under wraps. So it's kind of come right. out as a little bit of a, a secret source has said uh, that it's it's kind of had a crash. It wasn't destroyed, but they're not, I don't think they look as though they're going to repair the vehicle because they've still got Zombie and Zodiac. But they did come out and say that, and I quote, what we can say, though, is that the vehicle was not destroyed. There was no fireball, explosion, or fire associated with the event. We have no plans to repair the vehicle at this time. So, oh, yeah. It's very sad. And, and do you know, uh, that's 0B, but 0A, mm. do you know what happened to it? Uh, was that not destroyed in a crash? It was destroyed in a crash, but what? But what happened to all the bits? Oh, I don't know. They, they made it into a, into their outdoor barbecue. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's the coolest barbecue on earth. <laughs> Can you imagine? How do I get how do I get a steak off of that? Yeah. So um, yeah, zero z zero a is uh, now used to make sausages. Orbital snags. I'm down with that. I tell you what, we should definitely make that a thing. Yeah. Let's buy old parts of rockets and build barbecues. Sell them online. Don't just throw it away. Oh, I'll tell you what's one of the coolest things ever. Go on. Is the X-37B. Uh, we'll be the judge of that. Well, the X-37B is one of the only space planes in... Well, I think it might be the only space plane that's out, out doing stuff at the moment. I mean, there's a few others, like the Dream Chaser or Dream Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> the, dream, it's, the, the Dream Chaser. Oh, it's just like Garth Marenghi. Yeah, and, the Dream uh, Chaser. And, uh, okay. and the Indians have got the that, that test one that they did last year that was kind of like a little space plane. So the X-37B, is this the one that's meant to be the US secret military? Yeah. Did you play and then it's not that secret anymore? Did you like the uh, Did you like their picture of the This is the home of the X thirty seven B like that? I did like that. Uh, and it it was like, kind oh, of Alan Partridge. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was just like this. Not very secret <laughs> at all. So uh, not that, really. So that's been out in space for an awful long time. Over seven hundred mm. days. That's clocked up, which is obviously a record. Totally autonomous. So it's the only space plane that, that's ever landed totally autonomously, other than the Soviet Buran shuttle, which, of course, Ooh. was the space, the space shuttle that the Soviets built that looked remarkably similar to the space shuttle. Um, yeah. But uh, it was actually a very different design. In fact, some would say it's probably better in some ways. Oh. A, yeah, I know, it's a bit, it's a bit controversial, but uh, it's a, it's yeah. a good, it was a good vehicle. But obviously, the Russians just simply couldn't... I mean, the Americans couldn't afford to do space shuttle, but the Russians certainly couldn't afford to do uh, the Buran. So... <laughs> So, just so I can get this, I've got a few questions for yeah, you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. White Knight, yeah. with old Branson's uh, yeah. Virgin Galactic, how different is this to that? Obviously, that you know, this is not a, anything designed for well, commercial space well, weirdly, flight. Am I right? Yeah, no. So, White Knight is the, is the vehicle used to carry um, these rocket planes up sometimes so for mm. for example spaceship one and spaceship two the white knight carries that up through the earth's atmosphere using conventional jet engines and then drops them off very very high altitude and then the spacecraft uses its rockets engines to do the last bit of the journey into space 
Right. So it's just a way, it's just a way round that annoying thing of carrying all your fuel up there. So you don't need as yeah. much fuel on the space plane because you've got uh, normal jet engines doing that bit of the work. So in fact, weirdly, they did use the White Knight to carry the uh, X thirty seven A, I believe, which were when the X thirty seven. A was the NASA version of the X-37B, which is the Air Force's version of this particular thing. And I believe that the sort of drop tests, the, the atmospheric drop tests that DARPA did back in 2004 were done with uh, the White Knight uh, that obviously just asked, asked uh, scaled composites if they could borrow it, because it's a, it's a pretty good plane. Um, I mean, X-15 was, was one of the only um, rocket planes to have ever flown into space. Yeah. Uh, and and so, you know, in fact, you know, X-15's the only rocket plane that's flown into space on its own uh, volition, if you see what I mean. So it's dropped from yeah. an enormous plane and then flies the rest of the way into the space. I think it still is the only rocket plane that's gone into space. Uh, obviously, the X-37 goes up on an Atlas V inside the pictures are so cool yeah. with the with the rocket on a plane yeah. aren't they <laughs> yeah. oh, really yeah, no, weird yeah. looking yeah. almost isn't it yeah yeah oh yeah totally so uh but yeah when the when the x37's inside the atlas 5's fairings that looks pretty cool as well so that seems to be mm. the way that they're launching those type of uh type of things but What's interesting about the X-37, remember ages ago we we said that the that the, they were testing the EM drive on it yeah, I, I don't. I don't really believe that. <laughs> right. I, 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 well, because it's only appeared in the International Business Times as a as a thing, uh, yeah. and uh, what they have what they have taken up is the Hall effect thruster that Aerojet Rocketdyne make, and okay. that and that Hall effect thruster is used on uh, a, a series of satellites, and some of those satellites actually. Uh, when they first launched, didn't make it into orbit properly and use those Hall effect thrusters, which is a type of ion drive. So not, you know, right. still pretty cool technology, but but certainly not an EM drive. Talking of cool technology, Matt. Yeah. What launches have we got so, uh, this week? So launches this week, I believe we have uh, a Falcon Nine. Please say Falcon Nine. Please, please say Falcon Nine. Please say Falcon Nine. <laughs> Falcon Nine. Uh, which is yes. which is carrying an Imarsat, Imarsat five F four, and that's yeah. that should be going up on May the fifteenth. Okay. And as a tribute to my brother, who's fifty on May the eighteenth, which I can't oh. quite believe. Uh, Happy birthday! What's uh, his name? Uh, Richard. Richard Russell. Shout out to Richard Russell. Richard Russell. Uh, May the eighteenth, the Soyuz. Uh, and a, a Europeanized Soyuz from Ariane mm. Space will be flying up and uh, with SES-15 communication satellite from French Guiana again. Uh, just so hopefully that won't be disrupted by um, uh, industrial action like the last. Uh, Jamie, I've really got to tell you about my my day of rocket science that I had at the Royal Institute. By the way, oh, how was it? Oh my god, it was so epic. It yeah. was literally eight. What did you learn? I, I learned well, well, well the very first lecture, um there was a guy there called Bob who had been uh, who basically designed how missiles, ballistic missiles, fall off aeroplanes without sort of getting caught up in the aeroplane. 
Right. But his hobby was making uh, very, very light aeroplanes. And it's one of the most incredible demonstrations I've ever seen. It might actually... Bear in mind, this was the Faraday Lecture Hall in the Royal Institute, one of the most famous lecture halls in the world. It was, it yeah. was a privilege to be in there. But this, I think it might be the only time someone's flown a plane in there. So wow. it was really cool. So he had this plane, made of balsa wood, wings, massive propeller, right? And I'm looking at it. And then he sets it off and the propeller starts going and it flies so unbelievably slowly. And according to him, he was, I had a little chat with him. He was saying, oh, yeah, it's, it's in a zone of flight that's, that's not really allowed. <laughs> and it's right. and it, it turns out that this, this, this plane that's pretty big, you know, it's a pretty big plane made of balsa wood. Weighs yeah. a th- it weighs the same as the, a third of a sheet of A4 paper. What? And, it, and it's like it's it's and it's like the the, fil- the film that uh, the film that the wings are made from is made by Dupont, and it's it's the thinnest material that they can make. So it's the thinnest material that Dupont can make, and it's all- third of a sheet of A4 paper. Yeah, I, I, it, it, and it, it's got like a propeller, wings, tail fin, r- rubber band, that the thing, and the rubber band itself is special rubber that 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 that's, that unwinds at a certain speed and he's had to go through several batches to get the right one so this guy enters competitions for indoor flight and they sort of these things can wow, fly around i want to see it yeah no i i don't think of what's brilliant when you when you have something in science that's kind of at the edge of what's scientifically possible mm. it, you suddenly it, it just looks peculiar this thing looks so weird because it was going so slowly i thought my mind had slipped into a weird dimension <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, just insane. it was absolutely brilliant and and the lecture was about why rocket why rocket why uh, planes can't go into space fly directly into space yeah. it was it's really really good and uh, Katie Coleman was there she was the astronaut that we've talked about on the show who was part of the shuttle mission that took the Chandra x-ray telescope up and she gave she, she gave one of those really inspirational speeches where you go all astronauts are ace they they're kind of like the just always the best people <laughs> very true as we said before they're, they're just, the biggest rock stars on the planet well you know? they're just always lovely people they, they really get it they really get it and she had some very very warm words to say about tim Peake. she said she really enjoyed working with him on the astronaut training and what a fantastic yeah. ambassador he was for for space in general and especially yeah. for, for britain so that that was really really cool and she's played yeah. flute with uh, ian anderson of jethro tull and she plays in, yeah she, she plays in chris hadfield's band <laughs> I'm I'm not ready. Uh, uh, Jazz flute. <laughs> I'm not prepared. No, I'm not prepared. Oh, well, go on then. <laughs> so yeah, oh. uh, yeah. So she didn't play any jazz flutes. Wow. Although I'm, I'm sure she had it stuffed up the sleeve of her. Uh, yeah, uh, flights, flights yeah, yeah, just normal. Incredible. So yeah, that we, I, I learned. Wow. I a lot of things. There's some really, really great things. We, we even had a debate about um, whether we should be sending robots or humans into space. And uh, apparently this has been done a few times. And, yeah. uh, and uh, we voted for humans, but only just. It was very close call. So uh, uh, humans into space rather than robots into space. And Chris Welsh and Stuart Eves gave a very, very good account of both sides of the story so it was very well, very. i'm very, happy to hear that because very, i want to be one of them yeah so i've organized quite a few interviews with some of the uh people that were talking at that event and so hopefully awesome. we'll have them later on so well you're just going to have to keep listening to the interplanetary podcast uh, it's uh, the only way absolutely and i've been invited to the surrey space center which which turns out is about 
about 100 metres from where I'm doing this podcast right right now here in Guildford. <laughs> now you're showing off. So, uh, yeah, you you need to take the day off work, Jamie, and, and get yourself... Yeah, I do. Get, get down awesome. here and look at some uh, cube sets and stuff. Well, that is ace. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh, actually, do you know what? You know, at the beginning of last week's podcast, I was yeah. so, we were talking about Cassini, and I said, wouldn't it be ace to meet a scientist who'd basically worked a lot of their career on, on Cassini? Yeah. Well, I did. I, I, what? Yeah. <laughs> there was a couple there, and uh, we'll, we'll get them on the show. But uh, it, it, they'd worked on the Huygens probe, and, and, and they were going on about how many scientific papers, et cetera, et cetera, been, that Cassini, and, and how proud they were of it. So That's and, awesome. And one we bloke, definitely need to interview them. Yeah, and one bloke that um, uh, had basically got into making satellites because of how inspired he was by Cassini itself. So, yeah. Incredible. Great. Yeah, so really, really cool. Well, watch this space. Brilliant watch this space. Stuff. So, um, so, Jamie... We better wrap this up. Let our uh, we better wrap it up. Let um, our, so, let guys, our... thanks for listening, and and once again, welcome to our our new listeners. We hope we didn't put you off too much, and we hope <laughs> to see you back next week. Um, and please email us in any questions you have, any interesting space news that you want us to, um, you know, basically talk rubbish about. Um, and and we will. So, Matt, if people want to get in touch with questions and queries and and whatnot. Just, Where do they go? They go to the interplanetary, uh, www.interplanetary.org.uk uh, uh, or follow us on Twitter, InterplanetyPod. Uh, we've had some great feedback, you know, on, on uh, this this week, and it's been really, really, really kind of you all. Thank you very much. It'd we be have. brilliant if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you'd like to subscribe and leave us some thumbs up. That'd be great. Really, 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 really helps us and really um, helps the show grow and helps other other people who've not heard about us get uh, get hold of us. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace, putting the ace back into space, back into space. So, oh, so we'll see you next week, podcats. See you next week, space freaks. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Uh, oh, bye. Oh, bye. Bye.